morning. 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 Well, yes, the Women's Day yesterday was great Woo! here. Yeah. I got to go uh, pre-event and help set things up and the post-event to break things down. But uh, all some of the responses I heard from people were great. They were raving about it. The, mm -hmm. the food, the venue, the sharing, the testimonies. Sounds like it was a great time together. So Cheryl and Madison and so many others that were involved. Her Victoria sang a song as well and did a great job. And ben was there playing and has guitar and then uh -huh. playing the music. So Alex is doing a singing as well. And I know a lot of people put effort. Uh, Sam was there early to help set stuff up and. Uh, Stephanie and so many others. I didn't mention your name. I apologize. Uh, it sounds like it was a great time. Uh, I got a phone call from my daughter a while back, and I have to give you some pre-phone call information before we move on with the story. And uh, she and her husband live in the uh, Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, our daughter was working in, is working in architecture. She, that's what she studied in, in school there at, at, at UC Berkeley. And she met a, a young man in the campus ministry that they have there on campus. And, He's a year ahead and he's an engineer, but he works for Facebook and he's helping write code for things and put out these new products and they, he keeps puts the stuff out that new product they put online and launched and I don't know if they are because I just barely can use Facebook just to know the <laughs> basic stuff. And um, so, but anyway, they, they plan to be in Bay Area for a while. So they've been looking for a house. And if you've ever examined the, the, the ex expense to buy a house in the Bay Area, even just rent, you, you just, you're flabbergasted, you go, what? And so they bought this little three-bedroom, one-bath place that needed renovation. And the price they paid out is like, I, I had, I had to, to communicate with my son-in-law and, and text him, like, are you sure you guys can make these payments? <laughs> I'm sorry, love you. Just dad looking out for things. <laughs> you know? on, he, he had gotten a promotion recently. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. And, I, and so I, one of my prayers is that they can. And, They'll have a budget. My daughter will help stick to the budget. Anyway, but anyway, I, you know, as a dad and a mom, you, you, you always, once, once a mom and dad, always a mom and dad, right? You got your parents out there. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, she calls and says, uh, you know, we're renovating the house, and uh, and I have some things I want to get delivered to you guys, to you, to you mom and dad up in, in Oregon, because for some reason I can't get it delivered here in our where we are. Maybe they didn't want it delivered to the apartment where they are, or the house is, I don't know what it was, but. I said, sure. You know, mom and dad, mom and dad, you always say, sure. He says, okay. And, uh, well, it, it's three toilets. <laughs> okay. So one day a truck pulls up outside and, and these, these moving type guys get out. I get to talk to them about the go-to truck, invite them to church stuff. Anyway, they, they take out these three large boxes and bring them into the, in the house. And it's funny, they're not just, you know, cubes or rectangular cube type things. They're, they're, they're shaped like a, a, a toilet chair type thing in, in, in their construction. I thought, wow, these, this actually could, we could, we don't have to bring out the folding chairs anymore. We'll just leave these out here in the living room and you can sit there and you'll never have to move the whole time you're there. You just, just take care of everything business right there. You just sit there the whole time. My wife's like, <laughs> So we moved them in the back spare bedroom and they're back there waiting for us. But see, we had this little Chevy Sonic of a car. They're not going to fit in there, so we have to rent a minivan or something to bring them down. So we're driving down in mid-June for my uh, youngest daughter who's graduated from, from UCLA. We're all headed down for that, so we want to drop them off to the, to the mayor. These toilets. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to fit in the, in the little Sonic. So, uh, anyway, uh, that, that's, what, that's what we got going on. That's being a mom and dad, I guess. Uh, but uh, she draws up these plans in her architecture work in, in the Bay Area. 
And they go up, she makes, goes by and makes measurements of Kamai's house, because she does a lot of residential renovations. And that's what she really loves. She's not so much into the, the 93 angles, and the, but she gets uh, the measurements and gets on her little CAD thing and prints it all out and prints the, the, the blueprints and takes them down to the city and gets them approved. And then that's what everybody works from. The architects, the, the owners, and everybody's agreement to it. And once it gets stamped with the city approval or whatever, that's what you're supposed to stick to. And I guess if afterwards, if, if you don't, they can come out and inspect things and find you or demand that you change something. Right? But, but once you get those fans, uh, plans finalized, everybody's supposed to stick to it. Well, sometimes owners come back and say, no, we were, we were rethinking this. Uh-oh. And so they have to redraw things and go down and get them re-approved by the city, whatever city it's, it's in in the, uh, the Bay Area. And I, I want to make a, a little parallel to that with our oh, lesson about the authority of God's word. God has given us his architectural plans for a life that he wants us to stick to. And frequently we come back, uh, excuse me, Lord, uh, can I change this? Oh, by the way, the guy behind me, he wants to change that. And so-and-so, but he wants to, she or she, they, they want to change this over here. And God's like, I've got my word. An architect for your life. The reason I created you to live a certain way so you and I could have a relationship on this level of intimacy. When you change the plan, it changes our intimacy changes our relationship. If you would look at me over in Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of the famous sermon on the mount. I thought about taking a picture of the, of the, the, three, uh, the three boxes and bringing them in and putting them up here today. But I don't think I need to do that. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, notice this, everyone, there's not a way to wiggle out of this. We're all kind of in that same boat. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice He's like a foolish man who built this house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Well, I have a couple of slides for you here. If I could go to the first one, please. I have some nicknames for the Bible. The ones on the, uh, I guess, your left will be uh, kind of more positive type nicknames. The one on the, le- the right side are your right side are more of a more negative nickname. You go through the, the, the positive ones. The good book, God's Word, Holy Bible, collection of love letters from God to his children. That's the one I like a lot. And, and then you got the acronym of Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. You may have heard that one before. And the Holy Scriptures, the standard. Then you get kind of some of the negative nicknames of the Bible. That old book. Oh, it's a ball and chain around your, 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 your ankle. Wise people used, used it to control people. Now, that's what my brother said. Oh, the Bible was written a long time ago by wise people that wanted to just control society. Uh, a book of fairy tales. A book of crutches. You Christians just need a crutch in life. And the book of the ignorant. There's other ones, uh, more colorful nicknames. I won't go ahead and say those today, but we'll refer them to that. But this idea that there can be some negative view of God's architectural plan for our lives. Why would that be? Why would that be? 
you and I sort of know, but the idea is I, I don't really like those plans so much. Some of them are nice, but nah, I want that sunroom in the back to look this way. I want that master bedroom to be over here instead. Guys, we have some things we want to do in life that don't match God's plans. Don't match an intimate relationship with him. And so we feel like it's trying to control us. The ring in our nose to be led to some other place we don't really want to go. Next, script, uh, next slide, please. You know, the couple of scriptures that talk about the word of God being in 2 Timothy 3, 16 from NIV, all scriptures God breathed and Jesus for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, righteousness of the man of God with the ability for prayer and good work. All the Bible, 100% Old Testament, New Testament, is from God. All of it. You mean, well, wait, preacher, you're, you're, you're a chemistry major and you've worked in organic chemistry and you've done your peptide bonding and you, you believe in uh, Adam and Eve, Jesus rising after three days from the dead? Noah being, or uh, Jonah being swallowed by a well? See that in organic chemistry book. Well, I saw, I see believing in a God who created the periodic table and all the interactions between it, but also put together a nucleus with that kind of energy and created life and created a universe for them to live in. On if a God can do that, can he keep a dude alive in a dish for three days? Scuba gear, cryogenics. Maybe to actually partially digest it, and God just put all the molecules back on as it was regurgitated up on the sink. I don't know if a God can do what He's already—I believe He done doing that stuff. That's nothing. He can do that when He sneezes. So it's not a problem. So really, the issue is: Do you believe those things? You really do you believe God? Because if God is who the Bible says He is, yeah, that would be obvious. Uh, but it goes on here in, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning was the Word. Notice how it has the Word capitalized. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, referring to the Word as a he, was with God in the beginning. Then down to verse 14 of that same chapter, chapter John 1. The Word became flesh, the human, and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus. Jesus was sent as a, the primary focus to provide God's Word for us and to sacrifice for sin. And that's who Jesus is, is God's word in the flesh. Boy, that kind of changes my outlook a little bit of who he really was then. And what the word of God, the Bible, really is. Yes, it does. But God went through that sacrifice to provide his direction for our lives. And quite frankly, you have to step back and say, who am I and what authority do I have to change it? I have none. If this is true, I have no authority. Matter of fact, Jeremiah 18, I'm just a clay pot that God made as he made it. I, I wish I could have thrown God a few suggestions as he was making it. Yeah, little, little longer legs, you know, six three, six four, five maybe, yeah, okay. Yeah, a little more chiseled on top and a V. Yeah, yeah, yes. You change that eye color a little bit. Oh, we'd all love to have that, right? Made as I am. As you. The God that's made me for, for his purposes and his architect, his plan. 
you would look at me over in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Jesus has finished the longest sermon we have recorded from him. Started way back in uh, the beginning of, of chapter 5, all the way through chapter 6 and chapter 7. And then here, here's how it concludes. With what we just read about the building your house on the sand and on the rock. Uh, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law, not their religious preachers and teachers. Interesting. Jesus taught as one who had authority. What do you think he's saying there? Is, is he talking about some fire and burning? You better repent! You're going to have Is that what he's talking about? Some guy yelling? Well, give me some suggestions. Conviction. Spoke of the conviction. Okay. Conviction's good. Wasn't relying on what someone else had said. Not relying on what somebody else said. That's good. He's the boss. He's the boss. The authority of the word. Yes, absolutely. Anything, any other ideas? Confidence. Yeah. Passion. Passion. Humility. Humility. Yes. A moral authority. Today's lesson is the authority of God's word. Yes, the moral authority. God's expression of his love. That authority as well. The authority of motive of heart. When Jesus saw his life and what he was saying, the authority was something that was obvious and palatable to all. It wasn't just some guy up there saying, you better do this and you better do that. Actually, reasons why. And for a lot of us, I think we probably have, have that experience in religious institutions and maybe your own reading of the Bible where we, we boil it down to a book of do's and don'ts and not the whys of why I do what I do. And the time I've spent about, you know, the, the, the 20 things I have to do in life compared to why I want to do those things, they don't match. We're not putting effort into the why as much. And so we struggle through a religious life. And we fail after failure after failure. And we get discouraged and frustrated of why I don't seem to have this traction to become more of what I'm supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. Because we haven't got to the why I do these things. If any of you are interested, uh, the, the word authority, actually see a, a Greek strong uh, uh, number of 1849 if you want to look that up. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, if you want to look at the Greek word studies, just take your, your phone, Google, or Bing, or whatever you have, and, and type in Strong's 1849. And that word will come up, and it'll give you it in Greek, and the pronunciation, and different variants, and the syntax and grammar, all these other things you can even look up about it. Uh, it. It's a fun way to start getting more color to your own personal Bible studies. Bing, thank you. Um, this, this first point, and I've got three points and I'm going to go really fast through them. So please uh, hang on here and, and, and get ready with me. First is motive of heart. You know, bottom line is we end up in life, whether it be a short period of time or a long period of time, we end up doing what we want to do. And sometimes we do these mental or scriptural, you know, gymnastic uh, twister. Remember that old game, Twister? Yeah. <laughs> By the time you're well into it, you're contorted all over. We, we can do that, but we end up getting to where we want to go, even though we're contorting ourselves all over the place. But we always want to get around what's blocking us to get to where we want to be or do what we want to do. 
That's motive of heart. And what we've got to do as a Christian is learn how to change those motives of heart to do what God wants. So we don't have to twist ourselves around, give ourselves excuses to get around to do what we want to do. Even though we know we shouldn't, we do it anyway. We want to look over here in, in the, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. This is a great scripture. If you've sat down and had a Bible study about the Word of God, you've probably gone over this scripture at some point or another. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, The Word of God, the scriptures, the words of Jesus, are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden by sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him who must give account. That's an interesting point there. God says, I see everything. Not just actions, but motives of heart as well. Hmm. Interesting thought. But he says, the Bible is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts penetrates down to the to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It judges our motives. <laughs> That's why as a minister, quite frequently people will accuse me of being judgmental, judging them. So, well, okay, I, I hear you and I understand what you're going through right now because you're feeling that conviction of that sword, the word of God, cutting down the very thoughts and attitudes of the heart, the motives of why you're doing what you do in life. And Sometimes we don't like that. It's scary. It hurts. We're surprised. We're embarrassed. It's not me judging anybody. All I'm doing is reading what it says. <clears throat> and some of us have done as well. Others we try to help by biblical counseling. And they're like, how, how, how dare you judge me? Well, I'm not. What I'm doing is showing you God's word. It may feel like you're being judged, and that's from the Lord. That's not from me. I'm not smart enough for that. But God says it here. He's the one doing that. <laughs> And if you, if you recoil from that pain, you're really recoiling from the Lord. And most may not like that said that way, but that's the reality of it. Because if God's not our greatest motivation, we love him back, blow our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the first year of his commitment, then he's second, or third, or fourth, or fifth, or tenth. And so we'll always end up doing what we want and getting around it by making some kind of excuse in our mind and doing some kind of you know, mental, scriptural gymnastics to, to justify what we're doing even though we really know I shouldn't be. And God says, I want to allow my word to cut down in the heart and cut out the wrong motives and put in the right motives. Does that sound like a simple, superficial, easy task for no. anyone? No. It doesn't, does it? That sounds like some major surgery. It's, it's not going to feel good. It's going to hurt. And I'm going to have to wrestle with this. And it's going to expose me for all kinds of things, and I don't really want that to be exposed. Matter of fact, I've never had anybody this deep or asked this kind of questions ever in my life. Even like growing up, going to church, growing up this and that. But how dare you ask that question? How dare you read that scripture to me? We can react that way. Or we can say, you know, it's okay to allow the motives of my heart to be exposed. Matter of fact, it's more than okay. It is good. Because I grew up with a lot of ways of thinking, with attitudes I knew shouldn't be in, in, in a young man's heart that wanted to follow God. But cutting those out was going to be a great challenge. 
question for me is, will I allow it? A lot of us have influences in our life that have helped shape our motives of heart. <clears throat> influences that we may consider good. We've had parents, family situations, maybe the old religious institution we used to be in. Something that could very easily shape my motives even today is the condition of, our, of one of our three children, our youngest. It would be easy for me to want to compromise some things out of God's word for her sake because she has decided to live a way that's now different from the scriptures. See, I, I can't change his word for anybody no matter how much I love them. That's a radical idea in our society today. Because we're supposed to be able to be, willing, to be tolerant and accepting of any and every behavior. And actually celebrate any and every behavior that someone wants to do. I'm not looking to cut down, tear down, attack anyone for what they are doing in their life. If they want to do that, that's their choice in life they can choose. But if someone wants to follow Jesus, then I say, here's that picture from God's word. And I have to be willing to allow those motives to be examined by the Lord. Secondly here, how do I integrate grace and truth? Look at me quickly in John chapter 1, and verse 14. This is an interesting point. I'm going to say some things here that are going to be a bit challenging, but I hope you're with me here. Chapter 1, verse 14. It says uh, something we referred to a little bit earlier. The word became flesh, in verse 14, and made his dwelling among us. We've already had that one up here. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. This is what he preached, taught, lived as an example. They lived a life completely full of grace, love, and completely full of truth. How can you integrate 100% grace, love, and 100% truth? I, I don't know. For, for mankind, it gets to be a great challenge how you put both those together and live both those. But that's the challenge you and I have before us. How do I live both those? I was at a Lane Community College Bible study on a, last Tuesday. And I think it was the week before that, a young man came to it. Tuesdays at like 1130 by the Renaissance room with the big open window where they do the cooking back there and the, the, that group. And, and so we were on the long table there and we were sitting down and a young man uh, came to the Bible study. And we were kind of halfway through it or so. And it came up... Um, about uh, some instances where Jesus you know, looks at the, at the heart and, and our motives and, and there are prerequisites to why we do what we do. And I talked about how you know, murder is always prerequisite with the idea of hate. You may not hate the person you murder, but because you're hating for somebody else or something, you, and then and you made the point that you, adultery is, is a pre, uh, meditated by the idea of lustfulness. And the young man's like, whoa, what, what, what? what? It was a little dramatic and demonstrative. And, and uh, he's like, really? I said, yes. The reason we end up committing the act is because we desired it, thought about it. Whether our own personal fantasies, pornography, whatever it is. He's like, no, no, no. That, that, that can't be just as wrong as adultery. That, that, that's just that's, that's, that's too much. And he, he didn't really know how, it kind of messed him up for the rest of the Bible study. He, he just was kind of confused down there at the end of the Bible, at the, at the table. You and I have to have this understanding that we have to deal with what's in here. 
And the reason we live our life and do the things we do is because of what we allow and give. Okay, between the years and the mind. If we're ever going to change for God, we have to change what goes on in there. Because if we don't, we will never be able to live this Christian life. We'll continue to fail. I feel like I, I just can't do this. I can't get past this. I, I never had this victory over this particular issue in life. You and I get to have the opportunity to change. And the things that I have a difficulty with, I get to take it to God and understand His grace. Because a lot of us, I think, just have this idea of truth. I can't do it. I can't. I keep falling. I'm so frustrated. I can't do it. Have you learned to understand the grace side of that too? How to change that? And that's something I wish I could have discussions with that young man about. Like, you hear the truth, but are you allowing God to speak to you with his love and grace to show you how? To give you a pathway out of that to another direction of life. Because God is giving that if you want. And there's some very specific scriptures and understanding that God has given us of how he will love us. And even as a Christian, in the book of 1 John, he says, even as someone who's believed, repented, and baptized in Christ, tried to live the Christian life, we're not perfect, we'll sin. But he says, if you come to me and ask for forgiveness and get back up and start walking like Jesus, you will be forgiven. So to me, I read that and say, there's really no way to fail as a Christian. Unless, mind you, that you want to fail. You don't want to live this way. God's given us a way back to the truthful path every single time if we want to keep moving. Every single time he's given us a way back to truth if we want it. Every single time he's given us a way back to the path of truth if we want it. If we want to, to stay in, in the fetal position on the side of the road, wall and say, I can't do this, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm bad, I'm this. I'm... God says, I'm not going to make you do it because then that's not love. You have to want this relationship. You have to want to deal with the, the thoughts of the heart. Come on, get back up. He may send somebody in your life. He may send a thought to us. But I have to be the one willing to get on back up, confess my sin, and, and walk like Jesus. I have to be the one willing to do that. I hope we all have that desire. That I want to go to the authority of God's word, that I want to learn his grace along with his truth. I think too many times we beat ourselves up and we don't allow ourselves to understand and appreciate his grace, his love, his forgiveness. And that keeps us from getting back up and walking in the path we should. So therefore, it's a ploy of, of the dark side to keep us from God, just to, to wallow in our guilt and shame and, and uh, tally up our, our, our perversions, our, our indiscretions, or whatever. God says, I want you back. Here is the path of truth. You can get back up on it. You can get on the truth if you want. And I'll give you a way to that. Okay, last thing. The last day. The day of judgment. We know it's coming, right? The time we were born, and we have any kind of ability to think, we, we know that one day we're gonna we're gonna not be alive anymore. Whether it be old age or whatever, and when you're young, you just think that's so far down the path. 
That's a long way. 10 years, 20 that's a long time. When you turn 30, it's like you're like over the hill. You're done or something. Okay, I'm 57. I've kind of been done for a while, I guess. Been over that hill. Um, but over in John chapter 12. In verse 47, it says, Jesus says here, as for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. <coughs> what? Wait, reread that? As for the person who does not, who, does, who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I have not come to judge the world, but to save it. Oh, this is a beautiful time to be alive. Between the cross and, and the second coming, which is still to come, that's a beautiful time to be in this world. Uh, our life is not going to be judged until we breathe our last. Amen. Old Testament, before the first covenant, other times, Davidic times, and, and uh, uh, patriarchal, but it's a little different. But today, we get to live our lives and then face judgment. God sends us the, the rain and the sun on everybody, righteous and unrighteous, in this segment of time. We, we get to enjoy all these amazing things that God's blessed us with, whether you're living for God or not. He says, but this is my time of salvation. I want you to come to me. I'm setting it up so you'll have every reason, every ability to come to me if you want to. I, I'm you know, leveling out the pathways, lowering the mountains, raising the valleys. I'm straight this road out. Please come to me. Be with me. Let's have the same relationship. I'm making this as, as, as uh, able for you as possible. But he says in verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him the last day. He says, yeah, there is a judgment time and it is coming and it will be here, but while you're alive is the beautiful time of salvation. I, I gotta say this though, this is a freebie, verse 49, I like this. For God did not speak his own, uh, for God did not speak of his own accord, or Jesus did not speak of his own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands he needs to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. I love this in verse 49, Jesus says, listen, when I, what I say is not only what, but how I say it, I'm concerned about. And I try to say it just like God wants me to say it, the what and the how. I'm trying to speak the truth, but the how with the kind of love, compassion, and hope that you can do this. That this is provided for you. This time, this era of salvation is for you and anybody can live it that wants to. And I try to communicate it with every way that I can make it understandable and with the hope and belief that you can do this as well. And if we don't, the day of judgment is, I love you. I gave you every opportunity, but you chose to love somebody or something else more. This, that's why I like that, the nicknames of the Bible, love letters of a dad to his kids. I want you with me. I've said it everywhere I can. Even, even sacrificing life on, on, on a cross for you. A, liar, a life of, of straightening it out for you to make it as, as able as possible for you. But if you don't choose it, I'm not going to make you because this is going to be about love. I'll let you choose where you want to be in this life and in all eternity. You get that choice. I get that choice. I've given you the pathway, the way to the Father. I've shown you how to have this relationship. It's about truth. It's about love and grace as well. How to intermix those, put those together so you have this understanding of, of who God is and how he wants this relationship to go. 
We can walk away from it. We can deny it. And we can make excuses. And we can play a life of twister so we get to where we want to go. We can do that. Or you say, no, I'm going to quit fighting, quit resisting, and follow the plan. We get that choice. Let's go to your prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to come to you and love you and love you back. And follow you all the days of our life. And then be with you for eternity in this relationship. The other option of not being with you for eternity is not what I want. Some say it's like marrying you, God, or deciding not to marry you, or marrying the world, or marrying ourselves, or something else. Okay. It works for me. Help us to want to love you back with everything we have, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And use your scriptures to find out how to do that. We're not looking just to simply control our lives or be a book of do's and don'ts. Your dad loves us, and you've written love letters to us of how to draw us to you. I pray we'll listen. I pray we'll be submissive and realize you are the creator. Life's just not my little gift. I get to do anything I want to live and please myself any way I want to please myself and fancy myself any way I want. We'll come to you. We love you, Father, and we pray your son's name.